Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If you're a guest, one of the pastors, part of the teaching team, it's good to welcome you again to Door Creek. Glad that you are here. So I think we're getting the idea that winter's around the corner. We know the season doesn't officially start for a couple weeks here. But there are some indicators. It started somewhere in the early fall, like Menards was going crazy, and they got the Christmas stuff out in September. And that was a little weird, but it was true. Um, we know that the temperatures are falling. I know it's been kind of raining, but the snow has been here. We've seen the dusting on the ground. But you don't have to go outside. You don't have to experience the cold winter weather to realize winter's happening. It can happen right in your apartment, right in your uh, condo, townhouse, your house. And what I'm talking about is all of a sudden you start noticing the air is getting really dry, right? And so you're starting to look for lotion, and you're looking at your face, and there's, there's these cracks that are forming. All right, not if you're 20, but anyways, <laughs> some of us. And you're going, I, I need some lotion, and we, we, we know that. And then occasionally we'll be walking across the floor in our stocking feet, and we'll grab something metal like a doorknob and go, oh, wow. And then we remember, oh, yeah, when I was a little kid and I had three sisters, I would love kind of doing that. <laughs> and then going up to my little sister Miriam and whacking her. With a, with a shock, and, and so, you know, it's, it's that time where we, we've got crazy weather, and it's affecting us inside and out, and this whole thing of, of winter with the static electricity included, you know, it, it can cause you to have a really a bad hair day, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, static electricity, uh, I was doing a little work on this, because I'm not a physicist, if that's who studies this kind of stuff. So, stationary electric charge produced by friction that usually manifests in some kind of like a spark or a crackling sound, right? You've taken the sheets out of the dryer, and you get, and it's like that, right? It's just kind of, okay, that's what it is. And what it is is an imbalance between the negative and positive charges in an object, and then over time, it builds up, and then it releases in that spark or in the crackling, okay? And so um, it, it, it not only does that, but it actually can draw things to itself, static electricity, like dust or like hair or the stuff that we normally are kind of cleaning up. But static electricity will do that, which kind of reminds us a little bit of Pigpen, right? In, in, in Charlie Brown Peanuts, a comic strip, you know, he's always got this cloud of dust he calls it the dust of ancient civilization, if you remember that beloved description of his, his filthiness. Anyways, I, I realized this week as I was getting ready for this message that there's another kind of static that's not electrical. It's actually emotional, and it's the stuff that clings to us, and it may have everything to do with the past, it may have stuff to do with today and the challenge we're facing, and today's text is going to be this beautiful reminder that God's grace is the answer for anything and everything that we're facing, past, present, or future. And that's what we're going to jump into. So grab your Bible in Romans chapter 5. We're going to catch the back half of it. In the front half, John last week brought us to the benefits. We've been mucking around as Paul's been driving the point the reason there's a universal offer of the gospel to all people is because there's a universal need. And that was like the back half of chapter one, all of chapter two, all of chapter three, most of chapter four. Okay, Paul, we get it. Now he's going, let's, let's talk about the benefits, the benefits of the gospel, peace with God last week, a standing in grace, and this glorious hope 
that sustains us even in suffering. So what we're going to look at in this section of chapter 5, 12 through 21, is we're going to see the movement of God's greater grace for all that is in our past, God's greater grace for all that we're facing today, and then his greater grace for all that lies ahead in our future, whatever we don't know about or even the stuff that we do know about. So we're in Romans, towards the back of our Bible after the book of Acts, before 1 Corinthians, table of contents will get you there as well. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's speaking about Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, hundreds of years, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The one command was, Adam, Eve, don't you dare eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all right? But the gift, verse 15, is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So here we see the surpassing power of God's greater grace for all the stuff of our past. So the question could be, why is he going after the greater grace of God by comparing the effects of Adam's sin to the effects of Christ's work on the cross for us? Why is he doing that? And scholars believe maybe what's going on is he's anticipating a question from his audience back, his hearers back in Rome, who are maybe thinking, like, how is it possible that all of us are under the wrath of God as holy, righteous judgment because we have gone our own way, rebelled against God, sinned against God, we haven't loved him with all of our heart, we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves, which includes our enemy. How is it that one person could make such a difference so that everybody could be made right, justified before a holy God? How could that be that, that Christ could do that? And what he's doing, I believe, is saying, look, this isn't the first time where one person represents a greater whole and his actions impact everybody else's actions. And I think that's what's going on here. So he's a pattern, it says here, the word is a type. If you heard that word in the original language, you could almost hear the word type, this word pattern. Adam is a pattern of Christ. The question is, how so is he's comparing them? And the, and the answer is, he's a pattern like Christ in this, that like Adam, who represented all of humanity, when he was there in the garden and broke ranks with God and sinned, and that affected everybody in the same way that Jesus is a representative for all humanity as he hung on the cross, dying for our sins to bring us peace with God and the peace of God and this glorious living hope and a standing in grace where we're justified, no longer condemned by our sin. That's where he's going here. 
And what he's doing here is he's going to continue to hammer grace. And the words grace and the word gift will show up 10 times in this short passage. And he's going to talk about the greater grace of Christ, far greater than the effects of Adam's sin, which has affected us all. So that there's something that goes on as we read the text here where we inherit his guilt and we have this now sin nature that Adam didn't have. He had the potential to choose to not obey God. But he wasn't born in the same way that we are born. He wasn't created in the same way that we are born with a sin nature. So that, that even the psalmist, David, in Psalm 51, would say this in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. And we go, that is just crazy. Are you kidding me? We're born with a clean slate. We are innocent, right? That's actually not what the Bible says. That what Adam did is he represented all humanity. By the way, Adam's name actually means man. He's representing all of humankind, mankind. And as such, his sin, his guilt is actually inherited by all of us. It's part of the spiritual condition, the DNA of the human condition. But what Paul's saying here, that's true. And that has damning effects because we're all under, did you catch it? The reign of death. The passage starts out, verse 14, we're all under the reign of death because Adam sinned. And sin brings separation between us and God. And when we're cut off from God, we're cut off from life, spiritual life, physical life, and that's how death has come in. And there's a reign of death, but the reign of grace through Christ, God's great gift to us, brings eternal life. It's far greater. It's greater. So think about it this way. Because this kind of gets theoretical, and then all of a sudden, it gets very practical when we realize there are things that haunt us from the past. There are things that we've done. There's things that we didn't do. There's things that we've said. There's things that if, if anybody else knew in this room, we, we, would, we would be so embarrassed that anybody else knew that kind of stuff the stuff that can haunt us, the stuff that can make us feel really guilty, the stuff that even for a Christ follower knows that Jesus died for all those things and the, and the accuser brings it all back to us, it, it can mess with our mind as this static clings to us and we remember God's grace to us in Jesus Christ is greater, is greater. It's greater than anything we're facing from the past, the present, the future, his greater grace. So we're all under the reign of death, he says. He's already said that. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Verse uh, 23 of chapter 6, we'll be getting this in the next couple of weeks. For the wages of sin is death. The result of our sin is death. The payback for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And what is that gift? It's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the point here is, just as Adam's sin infected and affected all of humanity, how much more does the gracious gift of God's Son and his death on the cross for all do a greater work that frees us and actually brings us to a place where we have forgiveness and we have peace with God and the peace of God and we have 
a clear conscience, not because we don't think we, those things happen, but because we know that Christ covered that on the cross, the greater grace of Christ than the effects of Adam. Now, this whole concept of this, um, well, the theologians will call it this federal representation, so, uh, or another word they use is corporate solidarity. We go, we don't really get this. This one person represents everybody. But actually, if you go back in the scriptures, it's a pretty common theme. It's not only a theme we find in the very beginning with this person named Adam, the first created being on this earth by God, but it's something that we see later on in chapter 14 of Genesis when Abraham pays this tithe, 10% of all that he has, to this priest of God that he's never met before, this high priest of Salem, his name is Melchizedek, and it says in Hebrews chapter 7 that Levi, one of his descendants, one of the sons of Jacob, his grandson, so one of his great-grandson, Levi, who heads up the whole priestly division of Israel, that he actually was paying his tithes through Abraham. And this is connection. And you go, I still don't get that one. You'll get this one. Remember the story of David and Goliath. Goliath says, hey, he's taunting, he's mocking. He says, Israel, send out your best warrior. Here's the deal. Whoever wins, the other country, the other nation will become your servant. So if I win, Israel, you're Philistine servant. If your warrior wins, then we'll serve you. Remember that? One guy represents the whole. That's Christ on the cross. That's Achan. Remember Achan in the story of Jericho? God says, don't, you know, we're going to destroy the city, but there are going to be some things that are devoted to God, and you'll bring those in. Don't take those. But Achan, he saw those things, the tunics. He saw the gold, and and he wanted it for himself, and he buried it under his tent. And in the next battle in Ai, like 30-some guys die, and everybody's going, what happened here? And God's answer to Moses was, well, Moses, there's a dude named Achan, and he's busted up. And and it's bad. you got to take care of it. What he said is, Israel sinned. He said, Israel sinned. And so you think about the story of Achan. He's part of the greater whole. Now, we don't quite get that because we're from America, and we are rugged individualists. So when I went to Africa the first time, this first cultural training we had is this great pastor said, now you need to understand the worldview and how we think about life here in Africa is summed up in a phrase that we often use. And it goes like this, I am because we are. And we are because I am. Now in America, we have a similar version. No one says it, but we know it. I am because I am. And I have been working hard to get here, pulling myself up, right? That's rugged individualism. So we catch up with this doctrine, this thinking of one representing the whole, and it's a little, it's a little tilt, it's a little counterintuitive. And yet that's the message of Scripture, and Adam is a, is a type. He's this pattern of the one to come, even Jesus Christ, who is referenced here as like the second Adam. We get a do-over in Christ of what it looks like to live with God in a right relationship where his whole heart, everything he's got, body, mind, and soul, is all God's, loving God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's loving his neighbor perfectly. He's he's doing it all rightly so that we can be made right with the Father. So that's the first part, the greater grace of God for all the stuff of the past. In verses 17 through 19, he's going to talk about the greater grace of God that gives us an 
abundant provision and supply of grace today. So chase down now to verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So just read it again. This is, this is the doctrine. I didn't make it up. It's right here. Just as one trespass, that's Adam's sin in the garden, resulted in condemnation for all people. This is this inherited guilt. And it doesn't take us too long for us to manifest that we have that same disease now, that we break ranks, break ranks with God. So how much more the abundant provision of God's grace. Consequently, verse 18, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification, this declaration, right, legally, where we're made right before God, resulted in justification and life for all people. That's today stuff. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of of the one man, the many will be made righteous. God's grace is greater than anything you're facing today. God's grace is greater than anything you're facing today. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how long it's been going on but I so want you to believe at your heart of hearts, not just in your head, that this is true because it transforms us and it brings us into this place of peace in the midst of things that we would call storms. His grace for you today is greater and there's an infinite supply of God's grace for anything and everything that you are facing whether it's a temptation, whether it's a challenge, whether it's a dilemma that has you scratching your head, wondering what in the world to do, whatever it is, God's grace is greater than anything you're facing. How much more the abundant provision of God's greater grace? So it's a never-ending supply. James, Jesus' brother, talks about it in James chapter 4, verse 6. But he, God, gives us more grace because he's infinite and he doesn't run out. So we're never going to run out of God's grace and all that we need. There's a wonderful story that comes from the writer of this letter. His name is Paul, the apostle. And in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to his friends at Corinth, and he describes this period in his life where he's got this challenge. It's an interesting metaphor that he attaches to this cha challenge, which most scholars believe was some kind of a health issue. He called it a thorn in his flesh. And he says, I prayed to the Lord three times, take this away. Some of you are going, yeah, me too. Me too. And it didn't happen. But God spoke to him, and this is what he says God said to him. And so what he writes in verse 9 of chapter 12 is God saying to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so he'll go on to say, and so I'm going I'm, I'm to boast. I'm going to make much 
of my weakness because it's going to demonstrate the power of Christ when I don't have the resources to get through it. Man, he wants this thorn removed. It's, it's bringing him down. It's, it's physically taxing. But it has everything to do with limiting his efforts as a missionary to bring the good news to all people. And so where are we? Because the Bible is now in this passage moving us from the reign of death in chapter 14, uh, cha- verse, four, verse 14, to the reign of grace and life in verse 21. And there's like a fundamental difference between the reign of life and the reign of death. And we need to understand now, right now, there's like this locator thing going on with the word of God for us individually. Where am I? Where am I living? Now, we don't think about reigns, the reign, the kingly rule, the triumph, but we do think about who's winning right now. Okay, so who's winning? Where, where are your feet? Are, are your feet positioned in this reign of death or is it positioned where you're standing in God's grace and this reign of grace and life? Where, where are you at? And how do you know? Well, from the text, we could say this. When we're in the reign of life, there's peace with God. Translated means there's an intimate relationship with God. He's not a concept. He's not, man, I, I wish I could. I know some people do, but I, I don't have any, any kind of connection with God. There's, a, there's an intimate connection with God. There's peace with God. There's the peace of God so that even in the midst of hard things and the storms, we can have this hope and we can actually boast, as he says in the first part of chapter 5, in our sufferings knowing that God actually is going to do something good here. It stinks. It's hard but I'm just trusting God's going to do something good. So there's peace with God. There's forgiveness and and a sense of cleansing and freedom from the stuff of our past, the guilt and the shame. There's this growing hope. There's this growing character of Christ that is forming in us and a desire for that. The, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, more of that growing. There's more thanksgiving in our life. Or is it, all the opposite of those things, the, the reign of death. What is it? Well, the Bible says we move from death to life by the grace of God as we receive this gift. And the gift of God's grace is the same thing. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater grace. Jesus is the indescribable gift of God. And it's through faith. And so... There's that classic passage in Ephesians, Paul's other letter to the church in Ephesus where he says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his masterpiece, creating Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And so we move from the reign of death to the reign of life by trusting in the greater grace, the gift, Christ, whose work on the cross is greater than anything that has separated us from the God who made us and loves us. Have you done that? Have you done that? The greater grace, receive that gift. That'd be the best way that you could celebrate this Advent, this Christmas, by recognizing the one who came, came for you. And that he's enough for anything and everything in your life, past, present, future. He's enough. 
and you surrender your life, trusting him, finding life, new life in him. So we move from this abundant supply of grace that transforms how we live today to this enduring quality of God's greater grace where the overflow of God's grace starts impacting other people and it changes the way we look at the future. So verses 20 and 21, the enduring quality of God's greater grace for tomorrow. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. That's interesting. The law increased sin. We'll have to go talk about that. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So so just here's the word picture. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Not to here, but all the more. Far exceeds the impact of our sin. All the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. That's through Christ's righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a progression here. It's kind of historical. It's, he's saying, okay, remember, this is how it started. Adam broke ranks with God. He doubted that he was good. He disobeyed his clear command, and he rejected his rule over his life. And what happened there is sin led to death. He didn't die right away, but there was separation right away. Remember, they were kicked out of the presence of God in the garden, and then they did die. In chapter 5, we have this repeated phrase, Eight times, and he died, then he died, then he died, then he died. Just making it clear, when we break ranks with God, who is the giver of life, we're cut off from life, and we die. We're we're separated spiritually and physically. And so the progression is there was sin, and there was death, and then there was the law. And like for us, we're going, what what is his, why did he do it like that? Well, because remember, There's a Jewish element, like a strong Jewish element in the church in Rome. And they're people of the book, of the law. So the law could refer to not just the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. It could refer to the first five books. It could refer to the 39 books as we have them in our our English Old Testaments. And so why does he talk about the law? Because in their minds, there is no sin until there's law. So how could there be how, how are you saying that there's, there's sin before the law? Because the law comes 400-some years after, after Adam, whatever that period is. It's hundreds of years after. And so he's saying, well, the way that we know that sin was there before the law, hello, is because everybody was dying. And that's what sin does. That's the result. For the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. We choose to do life without God. What happens right now is there's this spiritual separation. There's death. And that's where we're all at as we start this life. And so we need God's grace. And so he says it goes from sin to death and the law. And we're still scratching our heads when he says, and the bringing of the law increased sin. And we're going, how does that work? Well, think about it in two ways. How was sin increased when the law came into being. Well, Paul's going to allude to it in chapter 7, verse 7, when he says, you know, if the law didn't say, thou shalt not covet, I would have never known that that was a sin. And so the law defines sin and makes us more aware of, hello, oops, that was, that was bad, right? That's breaking that commandment. That was a sin. Greater awareness of sin through the law. But there's something else. 
Some of us are going to get this more than others because there's a bunch of us, maybe you're a firstborn, and you are just so good at following every rule. It drives your family crazy sometimes. Um, so your rule fall, you, you, you kind of get this. You won't get this, but the rest of us might, all right? So it goes like this. Um, the law comes into play, and it says, do this, or it might say, don't do that. And the tainted human condition that is now opposed to following God's rules will say, oh, yeah? You said I'm supposed to do that? Well, I'm not. You said I'm, spo- I, I'm not supposed to do that? Well, I'm kind of thinking I might want to try that. So it's like that guy who said, you know, I, I don't touch wet, wet paint, but when I do, it's usually because there was a sign that said, <laughs> wet paint, don't touch. And, and that's probably the best illustration because I've done it, you've done it. Like, how long's that sign been up there? <laughs> so it increases, it increases sin, but God's grace is greater. And the greater grace for tomorrow has everything to do with bringing in this reign of grace and life, which brings eternal life. So I don't know about you, but all my life, since I was just this little guy and and I heard these concepts, um, it was just always blowing the circuitry, like, what, what is eternal life? And eternal life is a really hard concept for us to grasp because we are finite beings and we live in temporal space and time. And so this concept of being outside of time and living forever, no beginning, no end, is this idea of eternal. God is eternal. There's no beginning. There's no, no end. And we, we have a beginning. We're created, but we're going to live forever. It says eternal life. Now, I don't know how you think about eternal life, but my guess is, my hunch is, you're thinking about something in the future, like for a long time in the future. You're thinking of something that's more attuned to a calendar. It's it's, it's about time. And there's a sense where that's true, but not really, because when God talks about eternal life, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he actually says it's not about what you're thinking normally. It's actually about a relationship. So in John's gospel... Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says this about eternal life. John 17, verse 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, or in your NIV. And this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. You want to have eternal life, or what it, you want to know what eternal life is? It's about a relationship with the eternal God and his son, Jesus Christ, who brings us into relationship with him. And so that means if eternal life is about a relationship and God's grace brings us the promise of a relationship today, you can experience what today? You getting it? Eternal life. We can experience eternal life today and hope that God's grace is writing a better story in our life, in our lives as a church, and in all of human history. And so that the promise that God made to Abraham when he was childless with Sarah, that you're going to have such a big family, and he wasn't just talking about the Jewish nation, but the people of faith, chapter 4, that it'll be too big a family to count. It'll be more than the sand and the seashores and the stars in the heavens. And when we get to the end of the story, John the apostle tells us in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that there appeared in heaven a multitude that no one could count made up of every nation, tongue, and tribe. 
And so when we think about the greater grace of God in human history and compare it to the effects of Adam's sin, which has brought the reign of death to any and everyone who's ever breathed life into their lungs here on this planet Earth. And then we think of God's grace through Christ. We have all the reason to be incredibly faith-filled optimists, not because we wish it, because God's word has said it and because Christ has conquered the grave. And so we look at the future, our future, and the future of the world. And right now, if you're, looking at, if you're not looking at the word of God, but looking at the world and what is being said out there, you could have a whole different mindset about the future, the future for your kids and the future for the next generation and all the rest. But we know the end of the story, and it's greater grace, greater grace. God's grace is not only dealing with the stuff of the past and the challenges of today, but it's going to be writing a better story for you and for us and the world. Oh, that we would believe that with all that we have. So the questions as we end are this. Are we standing in God's greater grace? That's one of the benefits of the good news is a standing in his grace. There's another word that sounds like standing. Are we slipping from God's greater grace? Have we fallen away and just kind of moved away from God's greater grace? We had a wonderful Thanksgiving up in Door County and uh, people started traveling home. There are 15 of us, family members from Minnesota and from around the state here. And on Saturday, some of them were leaving. And on Sunday, Lori and the girls left. And, and I, I, Mondays is my day off. So I said, man, I don't, I don't really have to go back. And Lori and the girls are going to go just do Christmas craziness on our house and everything, getting ready for a big party today. And so I thought, you know, I'll just stay. I got some Work to do on the land. I love doing that. And I want to take a Q day too. At a Q day, it's something we encourage the staff to do. You've heard me talk about it. Just a day to be quiet before the Lord, to listen, to be in his word, to pray, you know, to work on a project or whatever. And so I think I'm going to take a Q day too. I'm going to do a little study in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to do a little, you know, Husqvarna work on the land. And, uh, and then I'm going to take a drive home from Door County, almost four hours, and I'm just going to be quiet. No radio, no phones, just be quiet. So I got in the car. It was a good, good 24 hours that I'd had. And uh, I was just being real quiet. And the first thing that happened in the quietness is I ran into all this static. That's really interesting. I don't even know why I went there. But uh, where I went to was, man, I am such a loser spiritual leader in my family. And I was feeling really bad about that. And, you know, my dad was so great at that and so consistent in that. And, and so I was, I was feeling really guilty about that. And then I, then I was catching up with this static about stuff of today. So like the church's finance are a big deal for me, that we're, that we're good stewards with God's money here and that we, we've got enough money to meet the needs of the commitments we've made to the ministries and partners literally around the world. And I, I'm catching up with the static of this kind of pressure. And then what happened is, is as this static that was there that I didn't know was there, you know, was clinging to me, then I remembered what I'd just been studying in, in chapter five of God's greater grace. And so remember this whole thing of static electricity is this imbalance 
And so there is an imbalance going on right now where it was all this negative charge going on. And then I brought the positive charge right here to bring it not just into balance, but to overwhelm it. So the, the, the metaphor is breaking down. I get it, physicist. I get it. I just did that. But uh, you get what I'm saying. And, and so all of a sudden what happened is I remembered about the greater grace, the greater grace for our condemnation and our judgment and our sin. And, and so I just started applying God's greater grace to these feelings of inadequacy, to these regrets that I've had. And I found it be incredibly freeing. And then God's greater grace to the stuff of today and the pressures and just the financial burdens that I'm, that I'm feeling as a leader here. And I'm finding great freedom of just going, I can trust, come on. Mark, he sent his own son. This is not a problem for God. His greater grace freeing me from that. Not from the responsibilities, but from the pressure that was, that was disproportionate. And so all I want to say is I, I want you so much to experience God's greater grace, not here. I don't, I don't want you to walk out and go, man, that's great, man. God's greater grace. I, I want you to walk out here go, man, I need that. Because I had a bunch of stuff in my past and it haunts me. And I know Christ died on this cross for me, but it still haunts me. And one of the reasons it haunts you is because the, the enemy is called an accuser. That's what he traffics in. Lies and accusations that aren't based on the truth. And so we can't follow our thinking and our feeling because they are not able to tell us what is true. We got to stick to the word of God that tells us the beautiful truth that God's grace to us in Christ is greater than anything you regret in your past. Everything. And it frees you from that so that you can be engaged in the in the present, not just to the challenges that you face, but engage so that you become an overflow. Think about this. God's grace comes to us in human form, Jesus Christ who took on flesh. Hello, Christmas, Advent. So that's his plan, is now Christ's spirit is in us if we placed our faith in Christ. And he wants the overflow of his grace in us to spill, as people bump into us, that grace is spilling out. And man, if we're paralyzed by our past or the, paralyzed by the future fears, we are not going to be at all able to face the challenges, let alone to be these instruments where there's an abundant provision and supply and overflow of grace. So where do you need God's greater grace? And do you understand that gift is Jesus Christ? And he says, I'm here, but I'm not going to force it on you. It's a gift. Are you going to receive it? Receive it again today. Let's pray. So, Father God, we bless you for your greater grace. Father, forgive us for our misunderstanding when we would think that we're not good enough, for giving in to the lies, the accusations. Strengthen our faith. Help us to always tether what we're thinking and feeling to the truth of your word. Help us to understand that the mountains that we face, whatever they are, financial, health, an addiction, a broken relationship or dream, a hurt, an injustice, Lord, that your grace is far greater than that. And even if you don't remove it, you will you allow us to grow through it, Lord, as you walk with us through that dark valley. And so, Lord, we love you. We just say it again. We need your grace in our life, and we would receive your grace through your Son. 
in whose name we pray. Amen.